Hydrogen chloride molecules are polar. When HCl molecules in the gas phase are cooled, the kinetic energy of the molecules can no longer overcome the dipole-dipole forces between them. The opposite ends of the molecules attract each other and coalesce to form a liquid. Dipole-dipole forces is the second of our intermolecular forces. And dipole-dipole means you've got something polar interact with something else that's polar. And this is an example of HCl. So Cl is much more electronegative than hydrogen. So chloride is the negative side and hydrogen is the positive side. And when two HCls come together, the negative part of the chloride, there we go, and the positive part of a second HCl make a bond, all right? And this little dot, 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 dashed line in the middle, that's the intermolecular force. That is the dipole-dipole intermolecular force. And this force is really helpful because normally HCl is a gas, but it can be turned into a liquid. It will only turn into a liquid if those intermolecular forces start keep kicking in and keeping the HCl molecules together. So instead of wandering around randomly, you can then form the intermolecular forces which turn the, the gas into a liquid. A lot of times you have to, of course, cool it down, all right? You have to lower the kinetic energy of the molecules to make the intermolecular forces kick in. Dipole-dipole forces are pretty strong, all right? I would argue they're not as strong as ion-dipole, but they are very important, and all dipole-dipole interactions involve two poles species. So uh, yeah, so there are quite a few examples of polar species. It's a good thing to remember. Here's an interesting effect of the dipole-dipole force. And there's essentially a series, uh, two compounds here in brown. And there's also two compounds below in green, all right? And compare the brown ones to the green ones here, all right? Um, so what I mean by that is N2 and CO. Um, when it comes to boiling, all right, there's basically two factors that affect boiling points. One of them is going to be uh, this molar mass, like how many grams per mole, because boiling is kind of like taking a molecule and throwing it into the air. And if the molecule is light, that will be an easy process, but obviously if it's a big molecule, that's going to be harder to do. Um, and in N2 and CO, you can see the molar masses are identical, all right? So the boiling points, negative 196 versus negative 192, there should be no interaction with the mass here, all right? It's not the mass which is doing it. And the difference between those boiling points is attributed to the fact that CO is polar. Oxygen pulls differently than carbon. In nitrogen, the nitrogen pulls the same as the other nitrogen. Nitrogen. nitrogen N2 is nonpolar, so you don't have the dipole-dipole force. But when CO comes in contact with other COs, you do have the dipole-dipole force. So if you're going to turn liquid or solid CO into a gas, you have to overcome the intermolecular forces. And you can see it takes four degrees of temperature more to make CO boil than it does N2. And again, if this was just molar mass base, you would think that those boiling points would be the same. But because CO is polar, it has the dipole-dipole force, makes it a little bit harder to boil. 
You see that also in the next two examples. Bromine and iodine monochloride are both about the same molar mass, all right? 160 versus 162. But look at the difference in the boiling points. It's almost 40 degrees, like about 60 to about 100, all right? That's a big, big difference. And that two gram per mole difference in molar mass is certainly not gonna be enough to do it. ICL, once again, is polar. So ICL is going to have dipole-dipole forces working on it, and bromine does not. Bromine and nitrogen are both nonpolar. So ICL is also experiencing dipole-dipole interactions. That's why that boiling point is so much greater than the almost identical molar mass bromine. Here's a question you might see from this chapter. The strongest intermolecular force in acetone is, and there's all these different names right here, and we're going to go through what these names are so far. So what you need to do in this structure, on this problem, is you should ideally find out if the molecule is polar or nonpolar. And one way to do this is just to draw good old Lewis structures. We're still in Lewis structure world. If you do that, you'll see that acetone has a double bond O in the middle. There's a methyl group on both sides. That's what the CH3 there is, and that's what the CH3 right there is. And then there's a carbon-oxygen double bond. And again, my drawings are so bad here, I apologize. But this is a ketone, if you remember from the organic chemistry chapter. Anytime you have a carbonyl, all right, and that can be ketones, aldehydes, carboxylic acids, etc., etc. But anyway, carbonyls always make the molecule polar. All right, so C double bond O is enough to make the whole thing polar. And things that are polar are going to have an intermolecular force best described as dipole-dipole. The ion dipole force, the first one, would be for something like a potassium ion, K plus, in water, something with an ion charge and something polar. And the other three down there we're going to look at here in a little bit. So in doubt, if in doubt, uh, draw the Lewis structure out. See if you can find if the molecule is polar or nonpolar. Acetone is certainly polar. We would expect it to exhibit dipole-dipole force. Dipole-dipole is pretty strong, but you can get an even stronger version of dipole-dipole if you have a hydrogen connected to the right kind of atom. So there in the little picture, there's an X, an X and an H, and a Y and an H. So if X and Y are the right kind of atoms, you get like a supercharged version of dipole-dipole, which is even stronger. If the X and Y are nitrogens, oxygens, or fluorines, you end up with what's called hydrogen bonding. And hydrogen bonding, again, is like a supercharged dipole-dipole. It's many orders, I would argue, of magnitude larger than a regular dipole-dipole force. So hydrogen bonding is going to definitely affect boiling points, melting points, and stuff like that. And we'll see some examples of it. Um, on the right-hand side are some examples of hydrogen bonding. The top one is pretty important. That's two water molecules interacting with each other. So notice that here's the hydrogen. It's connected to an oxygen, i.e. it's NO or F. The oxygen is also one of the NOs and Fs. So this is prime hydrogen bonding material. Water exhibits very strong, we're going to see hydrogen bonding.
The next one down is ammonia. So hydrogen is connected to nitrogen, one of the magic three, and another ammonia comes in pretty strong. But you don't have to have water to water or ammonia to ammonia. Here's an example of ammonia and water, and that's another hydrogen-bonded species, and the bottom one is two. So there's lots of different interactions that are possible. Because fluorine can only handle one bond, the only example of fluorine involved with hydrogen bonding will be in HF, hydrogen monofluoride, or uh, hydrofluoric acid, depending on what it's in. But HF is definitely a possibility. Most of the hydrogen bonding things are for oxygens with hydrogens, i.e. alcohols and groups like that. Um, you can also have nitrogens with hydrogens, and those are amines, if you remember in the organic chemistry chapter. Here's a question you might see. Which of the following should exhibit hydrogen bonding in the liquid state? Um, the liquid state is important because only liquids and solids for Chem 220 Chem 223 will have intermolecular forces. The gas form of any of these would not have um, hydrogen bonding. They wouldn't have any of the intermolecular forces at all. So if you go through this list, well, here's good old HF, which is the only fluorine version fluorine connected to a hydrogen that's absolutely going to have intermolecular forces remember you have to have hydrogen connected to nitrogen oxygen or fluorine so that's the only time now the second one c2h4 there are hydrogens but the hydrogens are connected to carbons that compound is ethene if you remember from organic chemistry but hydrogen isn't connected to no or f so b is not going to be one of the possibilities now, C is where the structure, the Lewis structure, is a big, a very important. You do have oxygen, which is one of the three big ones, N or F, and you have hydrogens. But C is an ether. It's a methyl group, CH3, connected to an oxygen, and then connected to another methyl group. You have a carbon-oxygen-carbon -carbon linkage when you draw out the molecule. And again, you have to have oxygen connected to hydrogen to make hydrogen bonds possible. So drawing out the structure of C, you're going to find that's not it. Again, you're going to have a carbon, oxygen, carbon in this molecule, and you have to have oxygen connected to the hydrogen directly to have hydrogen bonds. Uh, the last one, methanol, you definitely do have the OH. That's what you need for a hydrogen bond. Again, you need to have uh, fluorine connected to hydrogen as an A. You have to have oxygen connected to hydrogen or nitrogen connected to hydrogen. So A and D are both good answers. There's going to be more than one that has hydrogen bonding. And again, the liquid state or solid state is important because those are the ones that are going to have these intermolecular forces. And hydrogen bonding is one of the intermolecular forces. It's a special version of dipole-dipole, and it only works again for N, O, and F. Ice is held together as a solid by hydrogen bonds. When ice melts to liquid water, the regular relatively open structure of ice collapses. Liquid water can be more efficiently packed and denser than ice. 
Water has all kinds of interesting phenomena due to hydrogen bonding. And one of the most interesting things is shown in the graph right there. Um, the lower part there is solid water, ice, and the upper kind of curved part right there, that's liquid water. And they feel that the strong intermolecular forces in the solid ice, all right, and remember solids are usually stronger intermolecular forces than liquids, it actually keeps the water molecules at bay, keeps them at very rigid areas. So you melt the ice, all right, and then the water forms, and you don't have as strong as intermolecular forces, so the liquid molecules actually get closer to each other, and that creates this really bizarre break in the density. You can see that dense, that ice is not very, the smaller density, and then water on the top is the bigger density. A result of this is that if you put an ice cube in water, it floats, and that may not seem like a big deal to you. You're like, oh yeah, whatever, Russell. So that's really interesting. But this is actually one of the few substances that has a solid able to float on liquid, all right, i.e. the solid density is actually smaller than the liquid density. So the smaller thing density things go to the top and the bigger density things goes on the bottom. Most elements and compounds, the solid density is greater. So the solid compounds would sink in the liquid version of the same substance. Water is definitely unique, uh, not unique, there's a couple examples, but man, it's very, very rare to have this kind of phenomena. So next time you plop an ice cube in your liquid water, think, whoa, because that's really what you should do. It's really wild how it happens. A plot of the boiling points of the group 6A hydrogen compounds shows a trend. Based on this trend, we would expect the boiling point of water to be here. In reality, H2O's boiling point is much higher. This is a consequence of water's stronger hydrogen bonds. This graph also kind of gives me the chills. It's kind of cool. So let me explain to you here why I'm kind of freaking out a little bit. But anyway, uh, this shows group 6A, which are called the chalcogens. It shows different combinations of each of the first four chalcogens with hydrogen. So H2TE would be tellurium in the middle, H2SE, H2S, and then H2O, of course, we'll talk about in a little bit. All of these compounds, the central atom, the group 6A nonmetal, it has two lone pairs. So they're all tetrahedral bent, all right? They're all polar. But like we talked about earlier, um, if you're going to boil something, it comes down to two factors. It comes down to the molar mass, like how heavy they are, because it's kind of like throwing it in the air, all right? And it comes down to uh, the intermolecular forces. So if you look at just H2TE, H2SE, and H2S, you definitely see like like a curved trend, all right? And that's because TE is a lot heavier than, say, H2S, the sulfur, until N. And so H2TE is going to take more energy to push in the air to make it boil than H2S. So you would expect in this video then that water would be like down here, maybe minus 100. And again, this is a boiling point, all right? But as we all know, since we live with water all the time, water is anything but minus 100. It's more like up here at positive 100. That's where it boils. And this is not what you would expect based on the trends of other group 6A nonmetals. And the difference here 
here for water that makes it so special. Even higher boiling point than H2TE, which is a lot heavier, by the way, are the, the hydrogen bonds, all right? The hydrogen bonds keep the water together a lot more, and it's much, much more difficult to make the water boil than it is H2S, H2SE, and H2TE. The other three, H2S, H2SE, and H2TE, they all have regular dipole-dipole force, and that's a strong force in and of itself, absolutely. But because water has this supercharged uh, hydrogen bond version of dipole-dipole, that makes its boiling point just crazy high, crazier high than even the H2TE, which is quite a few grams per mole larger. So hydrogen bonds and stuff, in addition to having the weird uh, ice floating on liquid water phenomena, also creates boiling points, which are much higher, which is kind of cool. Here are other examples of the effect of hydrogen bonding. So the top one up here, here's water, all right? And like we saw in the last version, water is a lot higher boiling point than H2T, even though the molar mass of water is much, much, much less than H2TE. But remember, it's not just oxygen that does hydrogen bond. It's also fluorine and nitrogen. So here are the corresponding hydrogen halides. So HI is pretty high and HBr, a little less because it's not the same molar mass, HCl, but then bam, HF, quite a bit higher. And again, that's the result of hydrogen bonds. HF holds on to other HF molecules a lot better than HCl, HBr, or HI. Um, the other one right here, this is ammonia, another hydrogen bond, and you can compare it to the antimony trihydride, arsenic trihydride, phosphorus trihydride, ammonia, again, a lot higher. However, when it comes to group four, all right, which does not exhibit hydrogen bonding, then you do see kind of this strength, this downward trend. Tin, germanium, silicon, and carbon are all group 4A. And carbon, unlike nitrogen, fluorine, and oxygen above it, does not have hydrogen bonding. So these have just normal kind of downward slope. You can see that more or less it's kind of like a line, which is what you would expect uh, normally. So hydrogen bonding, pretty important when it comes to molecules. DNA is composed of two sugar phosphate chains that are oriented in opposite directions. This orientation permits complementary base pairs to be connected by hydrogen bonds. Hydrogen bonds are responsible for the helical shape of the molecule. Hydrogen bonds actually keep our DNA together, and that's no small feat. Um, these hydrogen bonds are strong, so it keeps the sides of the helix together, but they're also not so strong as to keep like differences and DNA changes and stuff to happen, which is cool. Um, in 2013, they actually started some pictures, if you will, of actual hydrogen bonds. Um, the lighter white ones are actual uh, intramolecular bonds, but the uh, in intermolecular hydrogen bonds are these kind of wispy little white things that hold them together. And that's kind of cool. So this is a home movie picture, if you will, uh, of hydrogen bonds and chemists get all excited by it. But anyway, they are important. They keep a lot of things together. And in biochemistry, you'll definitely see a lot more examples of the importance of hydrogen bonds.